Friday. Uh, Robert, do you want to come on up, please, mate? Uh, we've got the, the real blessing and privilege of having, having Robert um, speak this morning. Um, so, yeah, I just thought we'd have a wee pray before he gets stuck in. Awesome. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we've got Robert who's bringing a message, uh, which he's just been preparing with you. And I ask that you would fill Robert right now to overflowing with your spirit and that you would fill us as well, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you're trying to say to us and that we would meet with you powerfully. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Good morning, everyone. Tanja, I just love the enthusiasm and passion you have for Jesus. When we see that when you're on stage, it's cool. And Tori, I would have thought that gardening was more your thing than cleaning the showers and toilets. But it's good. It's good. It's great to be here today. Who's, who's really glad that they're, they're here today? If you're not, why are you here? As I was preparing today, I, I felt that God just had a, a couple of couple of things for some specific people here. One was, um, I sensed that there's someone who's having issues with night terrors. They may have had uh, two cases this week. Is, does that resonate with anyone? Can anyone raise their hand and just say that that's them? Uh, does happen with adults as well. Someone... That, uh, over there? But God just wants you to know that um, he's breaking the power of that over your life right now and that you're set free from it. And there's also another person here who uh, even yesterday were looking at and trade me for a new job. The environment and the place that you're working, is you're really unhappy with that. Is, does that resonate with someone here this morning? Over there, Tanja. Okay, well, God just wants you to know that you're a, a thermostat and that he's, he's calling you to change environments around you and that as you listen to Jesus, he's going to give you strategies and things to do that are actually going to shift the environment and the place that you actually work. So press into Jesus and hang on and actually see and make some changes there. Cool. So uh, the, my topic this morning is that this is a year of significance. As I was asking Jesus what he wanted me to talk on today, he told me to say that, that this is a year to be significant. And being significant is not just ticking boxes. It's not a year we're just doing what we have always done. It is not just being reactive to situations, but it's actually being proactive. It is a year to be significant. And let me just say as a quick, a, a, a quick uh, thing to the side there is that we all already have significance. You know, we were designed by God. He thought about us before the foundations of the world. Jesus died for every one of us. Each of us carries significance. But there is a difference to actually having significance and being significant. And I also want to say, although God is saying that this is a year to be significant, it doesn't mean to say that you haven't been significant before. But this is a great year to be significant. And with significance, being significant, comes transformation. Now, one of my favorite Old Testament characters is, is this, can I do, 
Are you getting an echo there? I'm getting... Like that? Okay. Cool. So one of my favorite Old Testament characters is the prophet Elijah. Uh, an absolutely awesome character. He, uh, he came on the scene when Israel had rejected God. They started serving the prophets of Baal instead. So Elijah came along and he said, it's not going to rain again until I say so. Yeah. And because he wanted to grab the nation's attention. And so it stopped raining. And you know, can you actually think about that? That's like, you know, Israel's not too dissimilar to the size of Canterbury. And if one of us came along and said, okay, it's not going to rain in Canterbury again until I say so. And so, and, and, and that's what happened. It, it stopped raining. And then around three years later, three years without rain, uh, he, he issues a challenge to the prophets of Baal and says, let's have a bit of a competition and see who really is God. Yeah. And you can read all about this in uh, Second Kings. And so on Mount Carmel, they have a, have a competition, and of course, God wins. And then Elijah says, okay, uh, oh, sorry, the people actually kill all the prophets of Baal, and they say, hey, we will now serve God again. Yeah. And Elijah says, okay, it can rain again, and it does. And so Elijah actually turned a nation around. And one of the really interesting things that uh, James says in the book of James is that Elijah was someone just like us. He wasn't some superman. He wasn't some outstanding personality. He was someone just like us who actually decided to be significant and transform a nation. And we can do the same, friends, this year. Now, we can shift from just living ordinary lives to transformational living. This year, we can be significant. You know, we can have, you know, God said about King David, he said that he was a man who's, who served his generation well. And this year, God be, can be saying the same thing about us, that we have served our generation well. Yeah. And through being significant this year, we can bring transformation. We can bring transformation to our personal lives. We can have a closer relationship with Jesus. We can renew the way that we think. We can live a more effective and powerful life. And we can bring blessing upon blessing to other people. Through, through God transforming who we are by being significant. We can bring family transformation. Our family can start having a bigger purpose than, than just ourselves. We can increase in hospitality and actually start caring for people as a family more. We can see our family members come into relationship with Jesus. I became a Christ follower at the age of 13. I, I have to give a lot of credit to my brother Tony, who plays, you saw on the keys here this morning. He's a few years older than me, and he took me along to youth group and came to faith. Tony was the first one in our family to become a Christ follower, and then I came. And over the next few years, we had the, we had the privilege of praying for and sharing our faith and seeing every one of our family members come, come into a relationship with Jesus. It was an exciting time. And then it extended further than that. We have um, uh, uh, cousins that we were holidaying with a lot, and, and we were able to see every one of them come into a relationship with Jesus as well. Um, uh, the, 
the son who's the same age as me, he's a, an elder at Ennisbrook Church in Nelson. One of the other sons is a, a pastor down in Omaru. And you know, by, by actually being involved and being significant around family, you can see families transformed and make a difference in this nation. We can see, uh, by being significant, we can see organizations transform. Where we work, where we go to school, we can actually see transformation taken there. We can receive God ideas to implement better ideas and ways of doing things. We can see, create a real God focus in the culture that we're in. We can see values shifting to be more godly in our organizations. And like I said to Tanja, we can be thermostats, not just thermometers. We can actually be people who bring change in our organizations. And we can see city transformation, helping to eradicate systematic poverty, starting new initiatives to make the city a better place. And we can see national transformation as we live lives of significance, as we be significant this year. Now, and I'm learning that we don't realize how powerful we are. And because we don't realize that we are powerful, we often think too small. What we believe and what we think can be one of the biggest limiting factors for us to be significant. To have significance that brings transformation, we need to break out of our limited mindsets. Now, there is no limit to what can happen for each person who says yes to God and does all that God asks them to do. So the first point this morning is that we need to think big. Now, it's perfectly okay to start small. In fact, it has been my experience that God normally starts us small in whatever we do. However, starting small is different to thinking small. Although there might be a process in going from small to significant, there is no limit to what we can do when we partner with the almighty God. Friends, please let me encourage you, think bigger. Now, our God is a multiplier. He takes the small things that we do and he multiplies them. Do you remember when Jesus shared the story of the three people that they were given talents? One was given one, one was given five, one was given ten, and they're told to go out and actually do something with them. The one who was given one did nothing, buried it because he was worried about it. The other two actually went out and got a return on what they did. They, they were significant with the things, the small things that God had given them. And because of that, uh, being significant with that, God multiplied what they had, not just looking after talents, looking after cities. God, our God is a multiplier. You know, we do struggle with small thinking. Small thinking says, I just need to try and get through today. Small thinking says, I'm not anyone important. There must be someone else more qualified than me. Small thinking says, what difference can I really make? And it, it also says, actually, all I can do is pray, implying that prayer is of little importance. Prayer is incredibly important. You know, Scripture tells us to think big. Yet we can think that between now and when Jesus returns, all we need to do is survive. Or between now and actually when we go to be with Jesus, all we need to do is survive. Just get through each day. Or we can think, 
maybe there's someone who's more gifted, more talented, they're older than me, they're younger than me, they, they have more time available. There's someone else who's better suited to do what, whatever God's asking me to do. And we can think that we just don't carry that significance to be able to go after everything that God's got for us. Don't just survive. Don't think you aren't worthy enough or good enough to do what God's asking you to do. Rather than just survive, instead we should thrive. Thrive in establishing God's kingdom. Thrive in being everything God planned us to be. But we need to learn to think big. God's plans are always bigger than what we can do on our own. Because without big, we don't need faith. So how big is big, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, it's bigger than we realize. Now, the Bible indicates how big we should be thinking as a church as a whole. Isaiah 2 verse 2 says this. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Isaiah prophesies that in the last days, the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord's temple. So I've got two questions about this verse. First question is, so when are the last days? And the second one is, what is the mountain of the Lord or the temple of the mountain of the Lord in, the, in this context? And theologians suggest a number of explanations. There's one that I really like. So to answer the first question, when are the last days? We, we can discover a clue to that with when the Apostle Peter got up and spoke on the day of Pentecost. And he says this in Acts 2, 15 to 17. He quotes their prophet Joel, who says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and the daughters. And when does he say that will happen? In the last days. When did it happen? on the day of Pentecost. So, you know, when I was, growing, when I was a, a young Christian, you know, in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, all that time, and there's the likes of Barry Smith going around with all sorts of end time preaching and that, you know, we thought the end times was something that was going to happen in the future. But the Bible doesn't actually say that. You know, it, um, the Bible's actually telling us that at least since the day of Pentecost, the church has been in the last days. When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, that began the last days. So for the last 2,000 and something years, friends, we have been in the last days. Therefore, the verse in Isaiah 2, 2 saying the nations will stream to the mountain of the Lord's temple says this will occur in the last days and therefore can be applied from the day of Pentecost. Nations may stream to the mountain of the Lord from the time of Pentecost, the outpouring of God's spirit. So what about the second question? What is the mountain Isaiah refers to? We find a key in the book of Revelation. And so in there we see that, that the... Uh, God is describing the mountain of the Lord and, and the temple on the mountain of the Lord. And he describes it by saying, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. 
and you see this image of the mountain of the Lord coming down and the, and the guy of the temple on the top. You could almost think the writer of Revelation had just read Isaiah 2.2 as he wrote these verses. These verses in Revelation tell us that the temple on the mountain of the Lord is the bride of Christ. Who is the bride of Christ? The bride of Christ is the church. So one of the ways we can interpret Isaiah 2 too is this. In the last days, which is when? The nations will stream to the temple on the mountain of the Lord, which is the church. Therefore, we can understand that until Christ's return is a second time, there is an openness for nations to look to the church for transformation. And all the nations need, friends, is for the church to be the church. For you and I to become as significant as God planned us to be. As we live, as we be significant this year, we will be able to influence nations and see transformation. And if you hold that thought as we consider the command Jesus gave when he gave the Great Commission, and we look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and there he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Most of the time when I've heard these verses referenced, the implication that I've heard people talking about has been to make disciples of individual people. And I think in our heads we're hearing, go and make disciples of people, baptizing them. We might read nations, but we think people. However, this isn't what the verse says. Jesus commands us to make disciples of nations. And Isaiah says it is nations that will come to receive transformation from the church. Friends, we need to think bigger. What is a nation? Nations are made up of individuals, so it is imperative that we work at an individual level still. However, not only does a nation include people, it also includes culture, it includes location, it includes economical status, it includes values, it includes how it treats the needy, it includes much, much more. All needing transformation. A transformed, baptized nation has a godly culture. It is just. It cares for the poor. For New Zealand, this means the cycle of generational dependency on welfare is broken. Repentance and forgiveness from unhonoured promises takes place. People shift from addictive lifestyles to productive lifestyles. And every person can have a place they can call their own and be able to hold their head up with dignity. It means that family matters, that everyone is treated with dignity and respect. It means that we care for each other. It means we no longer live as victims looking for someone to blame, but live as powerful people, confident in our identity. As a church, we already partner with the Neighbourhood Trust from here in Maryhow. We partner with Crossroads in Aranui and the Ramp Up Trust in Samoa. And we're also about to run Love from St Albans as an activity. And all these things, we... You know, we're doing great things, but we may think 
that it is small what we're doing. It is okay to start small, but we need to think bigger. We need to start thinking these small things we do carry the potential to influence a nation. Now, Love from St. Albans is such an exciting opportunity. I hope everyone gets involved in some aspect with it. When we consider transforming a nation, Love from St. Albans may seem like a drop in a bucket. But when we say yes to God and what God is wanting us to do, there is no limit to what God can multiply. Even the prophet Elijah we referred to earlier struggled with thinking small. On several occasions, Elijah said he was the only one left serving God. And if you actually read the story, you'll see that God brought revelation to Elijah to expand his thinking. When Elijah thought he was the only one, there were actually 7,000 people fully committed to serving God. Things were 7,000 times bigger and better than Elijah thought. But just as Elijah needed to think bigger, so do we. Second point this morning is that your past has prepared you for today. But don't let your past limit you. Everything that has happened to date to you when submitted to God has been prepared for this year ahead, including our past failures. Now you've learned skills, you've gained experience, you've discovered wisdom, and you've seen faith rewarded. All things God is planning to use this year. And you've also experienced failures. Past failures are great development opportunities. However, if we let the lies about the failures take root in our thinking, then we will limit our ability to be significant. Don't let failure derail you. Now, the enemy is great at reminding us about every time we have messed up and failed. He is called the accuser of the brethren for good reason. Here are four quick things to do to disempower the voices of accusation and overcome feeling like a failure. First of all, reconnect your heart with God. Luke 15, 20 tells us, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Whether we're battling guilt for little things or something larger, it is amazing to consider the father's response to the story of the prodigal son. He ran to him. Reconnect your heart with God. Secondly, saturate yourself with the promises of God. 2 Peter 1.4 says that through God's promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Our faith cannot be in ourselves, but in what God has said. We need to actually keep looking and meditating on the promises of God. Thirdly, go on a declaration rampage. <laughs> Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In life, we're able to break off feelings of failure by declaring God's promises over our lives. Proverbs tell us that tells us that the power of life is in the tongue. It's in what we say. Go on a declaration rampage. And fourthly, take care of yourself. Elijah was told, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. 
you know, we need to be careful with our sleep and nutrition and our exercise so that our bodies are fit for, for purpose. There is an acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T. And HALT means never make a major conclusion or major decision when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. <laughs> In these times, things feel worse than they really are, and what we believe to be true is often not true. So take care of yourself. So four quick things that you can do to help not let failure derail you. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all th in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God takes every, all your experiences, all your past, and he uses it to actually establish your future, not to limit your future if we hand it over to him. God has prepared you for everything he has for you to do this year. You have been prepared to be significant. Third thing is to keep going. I love this ver next verse, Hebrews 5, 13, 14. It's one that I came across and, and actually got some insight to last year, and I absolutely love it. And this, particularly verse 14, where it says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And that verse basically tells me, keep going, keep trying. Because as you do, you'll learn what works and what doesn't. Significant, significance doesn't come without taking risk, or being significant doesn't come without taking risk. And, we t and when we take risk, occasionally we make mistakes. When we do make mistakes, don't give up. Hebrews, Hebrews tells us this is how we grow in maturity. Quite a few years ago, I was with uh, John up in Blenheim, uh, uh, maybe 15 years ago, and we were, uh, John was preaching at Blenheim Baptist, there's a few things we're doing up there, and John was preaching on the Sunday, and, and um, on our way to church, I said, uh, John, I think God's given me a couple of words for people, so I got up, and there's, there's three words I shared. After the service, the, one I, the third word that I shared with someone, the person came up to me at the service and said, you got it completely wrong. Yeah, well, uh, you know, quite likely I had made a mistake. So I had a two choices at that point of time as I could have just crawled back under a rock and said, oh, well, I won't do that again. Or I could have said, okay, well, I just, God, I've got to trust you and believe that I'm hearing you. Like this morning, I, you know, I believe that God had given me two words to share before the um, service. And I was thinking, oh, do I? Is this God? Don't I? I don't know. Hopefully it's really good for you ones who have received it. got to keep pressing in. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was at um, the ex-elder from this church, Paul Edmonds Church, and I was preaching there, and before the, uh, I felt God had gave me a word for their church, and I was quite nervous about sharing it, and, and that morning, as I was reading my scripture, before I got there, uh, I was reading in um, Jeremiah, and, and read the verse, you um, I've called you as a prophet to the nations. And it just stuck out to me. So I, I took hold of that and said, God, I believe that you've called me to be a prophet to the nations. And I'd still declare that over myself. And who knows where that will, that will go. But uh, so I got there, shared the word to the church of what I believe God was saying to that church. And as I finished sharing that, uh, 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 Paul Edlund got up and, and interrupted me 
which is always a worrying thing when you're preaching and the senior pastor gets up to interrupt you. And he said, church, I just need you to know this, that at our intercessors meeting this morning where we were praying, God said exactly the same thing that Robert just shared. It's a case of keeping on going. Keep pushing into what God's got for you. Getting to where God wants, you know, getting to where God wants you to be often involves pressing in and just keeping on to the path that you believe He's called to you. Um, training, training thing we're doing at work and in, in, um, at work at the moment with the staff, and one of the one of the one of the quotes we got there is stick to the line. This came from a guy who became incredibly successful in business, incredibly wealthy, and is, he travels the world now, and basically his message is this, stick to the line. And that's, you know, in, in what we're training, it's all about process, and we put a process in place, and, and sticking to the line is just saying, follow the process. If the process is wrong, change the process, but always follow the process. Keep keep going, keep pressing in, keep keep going where God is calling to you. And then we need to be led by the Spirit if we're going to be significant this year. We have to be led by the Spirit. And you know, I want to cover this from two, two aspects. First of all, perhaps we think that because we are covered by grace, we can live how we want and there is no eternal consequence. We think it doesn't actually matter what we do. It's okay to do things the Bible says we shouldn't do. Well, it, it does matter what we do. Let me give you an example. If I was to go to a party and get drunk, I wouldn't lose my salvation. But would there be consequences? Yes, there could very well be consequences. Firstly, I could wake up with a hangover and have, a, have an unproductive day the next day. Secondly, while drunk, I could do something I will really regret when I'm sober. And thirdly, and more importantly, I would miss the opportunity Jesus may have for me at that party to help, comfort, strengthen, encourage, and basically represent Jesus to someone if I allowed myself to get drunk. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 12, 13. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Allow me to explain that. There are natural rules and there are controlling rules. Natural rules include things like gravity, mathematics, the seasons, seed time and harvest, These are rules that existed before the fall that God put in place to allow the world we live in to function. Then there are controlling rules. These rules are originally designed to stop us from hurting ourselves and from hurting other people. But they limit our freedom. This is what the Bible calls the law. And every rule we put in place restricts our freedom a little more so that, as I said, we won't hurt ourselves or we won't hurt other people. So every time we put a rule in place, a restricting bar is put in place. So we might put a rule in place saying, we're not, allowed to, we're not going to drink alcohol at all so that we won't get drunk and end up, and end up doing something we regret. So a bar goes up. 
We put another rule in place, another bar goes up, we put another rule in place, another bar goes up, and so on, and so on, and so on, and suddenly we find we're in a prison. And in fact, you know, the definition of a, well, not the definition, but the, a prison is the place with the most rules. That's what prison is, it's a restriction on a person's freedom. But Jesus came to set the prisoners free. He took away the rules and covered us by grace instead. But wait, the potential still exists for us to hurt ourselves and hurt other people. If we no longer have rules, if Jesus set us free from the power of rules, what is going to protect us and others? It's a really important question. So rather than rule control and a restriction on freedom, God gave us a fruit of the Spirit called self-control. God made us powerful and able to live freely with the Holy Spirit-led self-control. And if I, go, if I decide to go out and get drunk at a party, effectively I am thumbing my nose at the gift of self-control the Holy Spirit has given me. Not because drinking alcohol is wrong, but getting drunk loses our ability to be in control. It takes away our ability to be in control. It takes away that ability for the Holy Spirit to gift of self-control to operate. Being spirit-led is imperative and being significant this year. It makes a difference between doing wrong, doing good things, or doing the best thing. Being spirit-led. And, not, uh, and as we're spirit-led, it means that we're not being bogged down in some consequences of our own making. So we do have a responsibility with our choices we make because there are consequences. Our responsibility is to be led by the Spirit. But if we are to be led by the Spirit, we need to hear God. You know, there is no limit to what a person can do when they say yes to God. But before we say yes, we need to hear what God is saying to us. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Hearing God is essential to being significant and seeing transformation take place. We can spend a lot of time doing good things. And when we do that, we no longer have time to do the right things. There are right things that God has for every one of us to do to be significant this year. Uh, John 10, 3 of 4 says this, The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This is Jesus speaking about his church, <coughs> about his people. You know, God is speaking. We just need to listen. One of my uh, uh, time I was spending with Jesus uh, last year, um, in my imagination, I was sitting beside Jesus uh, in, in God's throne room on, a, on grass beside the river, and 
And Jesus jumps up and says, come on. So dutifully, I know. Uh, I, I jump up and, and follow him and he takes me to a spiral staircase and you, we walk up the spiral staircase and when we get to the, stop, the top, I find that we're in a library. And I have no idea whether there is a library in heaven or not. But the Bible does talk a lot about books in heaven. So it is possible. And, and when, when we get into that, into that initial open area and you, it's a sort of a bit like a reception area and you see these books everywhere and Jesus is saying to me, you know, it's God's word that holds the world together and everything together. And God is continually speaking. And these are the recordings of all the things that God's saying. And then he walks ahead of me and takes me over to a, a hallway. And we walk down the hallway and there's all these rooms to the side which have, have books in them. And Jesus says, each of these rooms is for a person. It's all the things that God has said about that person, said over that person. And then instantaneously we're outside a room which... A, a, and you were significant for me and we go inside and Jesus said this is your room and I see these shelves full of books and fortunately I see there's still a lot of empty spaces and it just blew me away how much God is speaking just over me and he's doing the same with you he's continually speaking over you and to you and the Bible says that we get to hear his voice. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to strive to try and hear God speak. The Bible says we have the right to hear Jesus speaking to us because we are his sheep. That's it. It's as simple as that. So this is a year where we, this is a great year to be significant. Great year to be empowered by God great year to hear the Spirit speak to us about all of these things that He wants us to do. So I'd like us to do that right now. Can I just get us to stand? I want us to go into our imagination and, and allow Jesus to speak to us. So can I encourage you just to close your eyes? I just want you to imagine that you're uh, in, a, in, a, in a grassy field type setting the grass is really pleasant to walk on you see in the, in the distance there's a river flowing through which is the river of life head over in that direction and there's, there's a picnic table there and Jesus is sitting on the other side of it and he invites you to sit down so imagine yourself just uh, going there and sitting down looking at Jesus and say Jesus what do you want to say to me about this year in your imagination say that to Jesus right now then wait allow him to speak back to you
while you're sitting there, I just want you to imagine that Jesus leans over and puts his hand on your head. And he just starts blessing you. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to Yeah. 